God is good this morning. Amen. 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 Good. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray over the message this morning. Lord, I pray that every hindrance would be removed. Lord, I pray that every everything that will stop the word of God from getting into the hearts of those who are hearing would be removed in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray that any kind of forces of darkness that are trying to cloud the minds of those who are listening would be removed in Jesus' name. Lord, let us, let us listen and hear with clarity. Let us hear your word speak to us this morning. Let us hear what it means to be free in Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for the opportunity we have to dig into your word this morning. In a, in a country where we have freedom to look in your word and, and, and study it out, and we don't have to memorize page by page underground, but we are freely worshiping him this morning. For as long as we can, we're going to. Amen? Lord, we thank you and praise you for the gift that you have given us, the, the gifts that you have put upon our lives. Lord, we praise you even in the storm. We praise you in the mountain. We praise you in the valley. In all that we do, let it be for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. This last two weeks, we took a break from our series in Galatians. Of course, we focused on Palm Sunday. We focused on Easter. Uh, but now we get to jump back into our study. And since it's been a couple of weeks, I think it's worth a quick recap. Are you guys okay with that? We left last time with what I hope was a clear understanding that if you have made Jesus Lord of your life, if you are, are saved, that you are a son and daughter of the King. Amen? How many glad to be sons and daughters of the King? I'm glad. If you're, you are, what the Bible says is no longer slaves this morning, right? But you are heirs of God through Jesus. Let me tell you this morning, let me remind you in case you may have forgotten, that no matter your station in life, you're a child of the King. No matter your station in life, you say, well, I have a lowly post in my job and I don't, I don't, you know, I don't make a lot of money. I don't live in a very nice neighborhood. It is what it is. No matter what your station is, you're a child of the King. You are heirs with Christ. Amen. We need to be reminded of our worth sometimes. We need to be reminded that, listen, uh, that he is, we spoke about this the last couple weeks ago, that he is what we call our Abba, our Father. He's our Daddy God. Right? So when we talk about Abba, we talk about Father, it, it means He comforts us in trial and tragedy, and he, he rejoices with us in victory because that's who God is, right? He corrects us when we step out of line. I mean, how many know that to be true? How many ever had a father that really corrected you when you stepped out of line? Yeah? The backhanded justice, right? Get back in line. Mike, you never had to deal with any of that, right? Not so much, no. Doug, you ever have to deal with any of that? Yeah, from time to time. The Lord guides us gently into righteousness. I love that. He corrects us when we step out of line, and He guides us into righteousness. And as we move forward this morning in Galatians, we now see a reiteration of Paul's concern for the church in Galatia. So we're back in Galatians. We're going through the church of Galatia. We're, we, we would do well in this study, in, in this message particularly, to see how does this apply to our lives? 
in every message, we want to take something from it and go, how does this apply to our lives? How can, how can this affect and move me in my Christian walk? We're going to start this morning with Galatians. We're going to start in chapter 4. We're going to get into verse 8, and we're going to go through verse 11. It says this, Formerly, formerly when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those by nature that by nature are not gods. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years, and I'm afraid, verse 11, I'm afraid that I may have labored over you in vain. Those are some tough words of Paul. Paul says to them rightly, you were enslaved by ungodly things. You were enslaved by ungodly things. So he says, when you did not know God, you were enslaved by the, the, those that by nature are not God. How many know things that by nature are not God are ungodly? Ungodly things. And when we think of the word ungodly, we, you know, we, we think of the term ungodly and we consider that which is unrighteous. We consider that which is unrighteous, rightfully so. So if I said, what would be ungodly? And I'm going to open this up, and I, I don't know if I should, but I'm going to. What would be something that would be ungodly, Matt? Drunkenness. What would be ungodly, Mike? Fornication. Bob, Robert, what would be ungodly? Evil thoughts. Peg. Would be ungodly. Stealing. Come on, all those people that have office pens at home. Oh, uh oh. That's not stealing. That's just making my wage in other ways. <laughs> Heidi, what would be something that would be ungodly? Lying. Gossip. Backbiting. Pornography ungodly, unrighteous things. We can all agree on those things, right? I mean, there's not a lot of people that are sane that would say, oh, no, stealing's fine. Nope, just go for it. Oh, yeah, that lying, gossip, backbiting, that's just a part of life. All right, we talk about those things and we go, wait a minute, those are ungodly, unrighteous, unholy, sinful things, right? But more than the unrighteous things, we are reminded that they were enslaved to those things that were unrighteous. How many know somebody, there's sometimes people are enslaved to sin, right? We're, I mean, enslaved to sin. They are below the standard of God, but they constantly give themselves over to them. Think about someone who struggles with alcoholism or drunkenness. Just they, they continually give themselves over to that which enslaves them. Pornography, they, they continually give themselves over to that which enslaves them. I won't do it again, Lord. I promise I'm going to be good this time. And up comes the phone or up comes the computer. Lord, I promise I'm not going to get drunk again. I'm not going to hit my wife. I'm not going to do these things. I'm not going to speak horribly to people. I'm not going to do these things. I'm not going to have evil thoughts. God, forgive me. Evil, unrighteous things that are ungodly, that enslave us. 
They, it's like we're wrapping ourselves in chains. These things that enslave us, and Paul is speaking to these things, and he says, hey, hold on a minute. These things that are, in essence, are gods, little g. These ungodly things, these things that ensnare us, we have become chained by them. We're enslaved by them. That We're enslaved by things that bring devastation rather than things that bring us freedom. And so when we think about those unrighteous things, and you say, well, you know, those were, that was back in my B.C. days. Steve, remember your B.C. days? Steve goes, I don't know what B.C. means. I don't know what you're referring to. In Christian language or Christianese, we would say B.C. days, you're before Christ days. How many remember your BC days? Yeah? So, are y'all awake this morning? How many remember your BC days? Right? And you go, well, I wasn't that bad. Yes, you were. Well, no, no, I, I mean, I did some good things. It doesn't matter. You were horrible. And you go, not me. Yes, you. Well, you don't understand. I did this and I did this and I did this. It's all filthy rags. Right, Steve? Everything before Christ, you go, wait a minute, in Christian language, BC, before days. Why? Because why did you do those things, Bobby? I'm not just calling Bobby out here. I'm not, this isn't like a one on one right now, but why did we do those things? Enslaved. We had no choice but to sin. Why? Because we were sinners. Right? You were in sin. You're under the bondage of sin. And whether in thought or deed, you were in the constant throes of sin. You're going out on the weekends. You're getting drunk. You're having sexual relations outside of marriage. You're taking part in slander and gossip and whatnot. That's sin. And, and, and there's no debating it. There's no arguing about it. You're living below the standard that God has for you. So that is sin. It's something that, in honesty, we should not be shocked by sin or sinning. Right? We shouldn't be shocked by it. It's always funny to me when, when Christians see non-Christians doing non-Christian things and they go, I'm just, oh my goodness. Oh, I got the flutters. I can't believe they would do that. I can't believe what they said or what they wore or how they acted. Don't be surprised when sinners sin. That's what they do. We can be hurt by it. We can be devastated by it. We can have, and we should have, compassion on those who are doing it. And we should share Christ with those who are involved in it, with those who are lost. But it shouldn't be surprising to us that sinners sin. They are enslaved by their sin. They have no choice but to sin. They're sinners. Now, there's a thought in the Christian world. There's a thought in the Christian church that would say this. I know there's some, there's some religious people thinking this right now. Well, Pastor David, you know, I'm a sinner too. That's not what the Bible says. Hear me clearly this morning. Say, Pastor David, I'm a sinner too. But that's not what the Bible says. It's an interesting thing. Romans 5, 18 through 21 says this. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, 
So by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Say righteous. The many will be made righteous. Verse 20 says, now the law came in to increase the trespass to where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You say, okay, David, so you're, you're Pastor David, you're saying, so we were sinners and now we're righteous, right? Romans 6, 6 through 7 says this, for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Amen. So that means that when we were sinners, we were before Christ, lost in our sins. Jesus came to save us. We gave ourselves over to salvation. We made him Lord of our life. And now we are no longer defined as sinners. We are clearly defined as righteous. Not because of what we do, but because of what he did. Amen? I like... I, Here's a nugget for you. If you're writing down nuggets, here's a nugget for you. The blood of Jesus will change your definition as well as your destination. It will change your definition as well as your destination. Why? Because before Jesus, I was destined for hell. Before Jesus, I was destined for tragedy. Before Jesus, I was destined for being lost for eternity. Before Jesus, I was defined as a sinner. And now, because of the blood of Jesus, we are defined as righteous. You say, well, Pastor David, does that mean I don't sin anymore? Hmm. Now we get into it. That you are declared righteous under the blood of Jesus. But we still mess up. Why? Because we're being perfected. It doesn't say we're perfect but we're being perfected, we're being sanctified, we're being made into the likeness and image of Jesus. That's what it means to follow Christ. It doesn't mean perfection. Nobody's perfect, amen? You may think you are, you're not. Carol, I love you. <laughs> you're not perfect. Bobby, I love you, you're not perfect. Gary, you're close to perfect. No. <laughs> One minister said it this way. In Christ, sin no longer has any power. Though the power of the Holy Spirit, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can say no to sin. It doesn't have to be a daily struggle. We can choose to live by the Spirit who will be faithful to train us in righteousness and give us the strength we need to resist the devil's schemes. Give us the strength we need. Say, Holy Spirit, I'm depending on you this morning. I'm depending on you today. I'm depending on you every day that those things, those temptations may come my way. But I say, in the name of Jesus, get away from me. And I move forward in righteousness. You say, well, well Pastor David, you don't understand. Just the temptation's too strong. That means you need to be stronger in Jesus. Temptation's too strong. Are you praying? Are you reading your word? Are you fellowshipping with other believers? Are you coming to church on Sunday for crying out loud? What are you doing? Paul says this. Uh, this is what Paul 
is saying to the Galatians, verse 9. We're going to go back to it. Verse 9, it says, But now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, now that you have come to know God or be known by God, go to the, uh, the verse. There it is, right there. Thank you. How can you turn back? How can you turn back to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? He says, you observe days and months and seasons and years, and I am afraid that I have labored, may have labored over you in vain. So once you accept Jesus Christ in your life, you are now known by God. You are now what we call saved. Amen? How many glad to be saved this morning? How many glad to be known by God this morning? Right? Why turn back to the weak and worthless things that enslaved you? Why go back to that lifestyle? Why go back to that sinful thing that put you in chains? Paul specifically was referring, listen, this is interesting. In the Galatian church, we talked about this during Easter. He was referring to their practice of religious sin. Religious sin. I mean, you know, there's a lot of religious sin. We take the, we, we, we use God and we use Jesus and we use holy, holy things and holy days to say, oh, let's make it this, this, and this, and this. And we become very legalistic about those things. Paul is referring to their practice of religious sin where they appeared holy by observing different traditional days or seasons. Their sin is the sin of legalism. It's the, the I, I heard this new term. I never even heard the term CEOs. We had, a lot, we had a lot of people here last week, amen? It was Easter, right? So CEOs is Christmas and Easter only. I hadn't heard that until this last week. I've heard of C&Es, that's pretty common. But Christmas and Easter only, where they appear holy by observing a, a traditional day or a season. And then they go back to what they were doing before. Well, I'm here on Easter and I'm here on Christmas and that's all that matters. And how much we put into our relationship with God. And how much we get out of our relationship with God. Their sin was the sin of legalism. And then we see Paul say something that, honestly, if you've ever ministered over any amount of people at any time, you may feel this way from time to time. Paul says, I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Tim, you know what I'm talking about? Paul says this, I may have wasted my time with you. I may have wasted my time with you. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. You know, pastors, ministers, preachers, boy, they're expected to just grab hold of and hang on to everybody for every worry, for every trial, for everything, all the time. Paul says, I may have wasted my time with you. It presents one of the harsh realities of being in ministry or of being a minister. The people that you minister over and pray for and care for and teach and preach to may turn their back on you and on Jesus and go back to that which destroys them. Being a minister and you go, man, why would you go back to that? Don't you remember how you were stammering and, and, and stumbling everywhere and you were, you, were, you were yelling at people, you were hurting people. You, don't you remember this lifestyle that led to you being degraded? Don't you remember this lifestyle that led to problems in your marriage? Don't you remember this lifestyle that was hurting you and hurting those around you? Why would you go back to that? 
And so in frustration, you go, you've heard the word, I've preached the word, I've counseled you, I've done this, I've done that. Why in the world would you go back to that? And as ministers, the harsh reality is people go back all the time. And Paul says, I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. They make the choice to stop living for Jesus and start living for themselves again. They stop coming to church and you see them engaging in those things that were supposed to have come off their lives. And then they show up for Christmas and Easter once in a while and say, oh, I'm good. I gave in the offering this morning. I put my time in. You see them wrap themselves up in the chains that they have been broken off of. They just pick them up and put them right back on. A large part of ministry to people, and I want to say this clearly, if you've ministered to people ever, a large part of ministry to people is a sadness and a frustration and a heartache in seeing those who call themselves Christians fall back into sin. It's just a harsh reality of ministry. And there are some people who would say this, well, maybe they were never saved in the first place. In fact, that's probably it. I bet you they were never saved. Maybe that could be true, but that shouldn't lessen the heartache. That shouldn't lessen the compassion we have for those who are lost. And I want to say this. In fact, it sounds pretty callous and arrogant to say, well, maybe they were never saved in the first place. And in honesty, it doesn't line up with what Paul is saying here. He says clearly that they have been known by God. Clearly known by God. But they have turned back to the weak and worthless things. Paul, in seeing this, does all he can to bring them to an understanding of what righteousness is and then what it's not. Now, how does he do this? This is interesting. He does this by... uh, reminding them of the history that they have together. The history of the Jewish people, let's say. The history of those who are under the Abrahamic covenant. He says this, uh, Galatians verse uh, chapter 4, verse 12. It says this, Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. Now, this is the history of Paul here, okay? So we're going to talk about Paul's history, and it says this in verse 13. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. So Paul had a sickness. Whatever that was, we're going to get into that a little bit in a a minute. But it was because of that that he preached the gospel to them at first. And he says, verse 14, and though my condition was a trial to you, Though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn me or despise me, but you received me as an angel of God as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that, if possible, you would have gouged your eyes out and given them to me. It's kind of weird, huh? If possible, you would have gouged your eyes out and given them to me. Now, Paul's history with this group here is really interesting. It's cool stuff. He came to the area because of the sickness, and while, listen, the truth is, he was there. Uh, he's there with the sickness. He's preaching to them. It seems that because of the sickness, 
he stays there with them for quite a while. And he says, you guys took care of me. You took care of me well. You would have done, basically Paul is saying, you would have done most anything for me. And it seems that while he was under their care, they really came to love him. They really came to love this, this man of God that not only had their respect, but had their love. One of the hallmarks of pastoral ministry is not just a pastor who's respected, but one who's loved. Why? Because a pastor has to get in with people. And it becomes involved in their lives, involved in their victories, involved in their defeats, involved in their tragedies, involved in their worst moments, involved in the highest highs and the lowest lows. And I want you to know as a pastor, it is my, my privilege to call you my church family. It is my privilege. And, and there's times I mess up. There's times I screw up. There's times I put my foot in my mouth. How many know what I'm talking about, right? There's times I do all of that, but it is my privilege to be able to, to minister as God has allowed me to minister when I can. I can't do all things, but the things that I can do, I try to do the best I can. When we look at Paul, it seems that his sickness causes him to stay there and be taken care of, and they love him. They, they receive him as what they call an angel of God. Their love and care was so great, this is weird, Paul says, you would have gouged your eyes out for me. I've been here a little over uh, almost, almost seven years now. How many would gouge your eyes out for me? No? I'd be hard-pressed to gouge my house out for anybody. Their love and care was so great. It says, Paul says, you would have gouged your eyes. Now, of course, he's speaking with hyperbolic language and things like that. But I know this, it sounds strange, but there can also be a context to it that we don't fully understand. So we don't know. We have no way of knowing. And I want to say this clearly. We have no way of knowing what Paul's ailment was. We don't know what it really was. There's speculation that it possibly, because he makes the statement about having their eyes gouged out, that basically uh, the assumption and the speculation is that he had an eye disease. That he had an eye disease, that he couldn't see them very well. Now that's just speculation. It's interesting to think about. Why would he bring up them gouging their eyes out unless maybe he needed their eyes? I don't know. It's a weird thing to think about, right? Biblical history can be very strange sometimes, right, Joan? Very strange sometimes. Regardless of that, regardless of what it is, if, in case he was looking to like trade eyes with someone, I don't know. Whatever it was, regardless, it's clear that when Paul was there earlier, they received his teaching and they loved him. They received his teaching and they loved him. And so he's essentially reminding them that they have trusted and loved him. So then he asked this in verse 16. Verse 16, it's a natural question. He says, you love me, you would have gouged out your eyes. Have I then become an enemy by telling you the truth? I mean, Paul is speaking to them. Paul is writing this letter, and he says, man, have I become your enemy now because I tell you the truth? 
They make much of you, verse 17, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out, but you make much of them, verse 18. It is always good to be made much, much of for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Verse 20 says, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Now, all of that sounds really interesting, really strange to say, Pastor David, I didn't catch any of that. How many, caught, how many caught that? I like the message paraphrasing here. It says this. Have I suddenly become your enemy by simply telling you the truth? I can't believe it. Those heretical teachers or those teachers that are pre preaching a false gospel go to great lengths to flatter you, but their motives are rotten. They want to shut you out of the free world of God's grace so that you will always depend on them for approval and direction making them feel important. It is a good thing to be passionate in your doing good, but not just when I am in your presence. That's what Paul is saying to them. Don't just do good because the pastor shows up. Don't just do good because the camera's on you. Now, you, you say that may sound strange. Here's an interesting thing. I went to a church when I was in college. I was in a church that was a very, it was a large church. It, it, was, it boasted 12,000 members large TV ministry. And in that ministry, they would uh, record, not just record their services, but it was a big production. It was boom cameras and microphones and multi-angles and all sorts of different stuff, right? And I know that for me, as well as others, every once in a while, you'd be in praise and worship, and it was really good praise and worship, and every once in a while, the camera would be right on you. How many have ever been to a church like that? How many have ever seen that? The camera's right on you. And so you'd have some Yahoo there picking his nose and just kind of, you know, whatever, paying attention. And all of a sudden, camera comes on. And, oh, oh, praise the Lord. Oh, praise the Lord. And that's what he does. And that's, so, that's, so all of a sudden, there's two people talking. Hey, you get this? You get that? Why? Because they're on camera. Because now they have to put on a show. Now it's not genuine. It's not real. Paul says, don't just be good and do good because I'm in town. Don't just be good and do good because I show up. It's one of those funny things about being a pastor where <laughs> you go to someone's house and like, oh, the pastor's here. Oh, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta shape up. We gotta don't put on a show. I know it's kind of the natural inclination towards just like, oh, we better, better get in line. I want to have real relationship. I want to have genuine relationship. And I can look at your struggles and you can look at mine and we can share those struggles together. Because that's what Christian ministry is. Because I'm not perfected and you're not perfected. And in our imperfections, we lean on Jesus. We have grace for each other. We have peace for each other. We, Man, you messed up. I messed up. We're all messed up sometimes. But we lean on the grace of Jesus. Paul says, don't just do good because I show up. He says, can't you continue the same concern for both my person and my message when I am away from you as you had when I was with you? Do you know how I feel right now? 
and will feel until Christ's life comes, vis- becomes visible in your lives. I like this. I like what he says this. He says, like a mother in the pain of childbirth. Do you know how I feel when I see you going back to that which ensnares you? Do you know how it breaks my heart to see that which you should be free from chain you up again? And it should break my heart. And it should break your heart when you see those who are free go back to the chains that bind them. He says this, oh, I keep wishing that I was with you. It's really a lovely, like just a beautiful letter written to the Galatians. Oh, I wish that I was with you. Then I wouldn't be reduced to this blunt letter writing language out of sheer frustration. I like the paraphrasing there. Just out of sheer frustration. Paul, as their, as their teacher and leader and apostle, is basically saying, man, I am so frustrated. Man, I wish I was there right now. Man, I wish I was there with you. I wouldn't be reduced to this blunt letter-writing language. So you get a sense of how frustrated Paul is with these people. You get a sense they went from slaves to sons and daughters, but are looking to go back to the things that enslaved them. They were slaves, and they're known by God, but they want to go back. So he gives them a reminder about the law that they are so busy trying to keep. And that's what the problem is. They're getting involved with this legalistic, religious, just rules, right? Just 600 and some odd rules that are just nuts. He says this, verse 21, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, don't you listen to the law? For it is written by Abraham that had two sons. And so he goes into Abraham and he says, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Paul goes back to Abraham to remind them of this specific truth. Abraham had two sons. In case you aren't familiar with the story, let me give it to you real quickly. One came through the flesh, another through the promise of God. Long story short, Abraham had a wife named Sarah. How many know this to be true, right? Before they were called Abraham and Sarah, they were called Abram and Sarai. So there's Abram and Sarai, okay? So Sarai had a servant or a slave woman named Hagar and told Abram to take her as a wife so that he could have a child. The Lord had promised them a child. The Lord had said, yep, you're going to have a child. Sarai didn't see it happening. So so she said, Abraham or Abram, Go over to Hagar, take her as a wife, have a child with her. That'll be the child. Abram, listen to his wife. Probably not the best thing to do in this instance. (laughs) All the mouths, all the wives' mouths were like, what? No, listen. In this time, Sarai goes, hey, Abram, you see Hagar over there? Go take her as a wife, have a kid with her. It's a problem. Bible calls it the child of the flesh. When Abram has been promised a child, he went and did it of his own accord. And it creates issues. 
Abraham has a child with Hagar. Sarai becomes jealous like she naturally would and sends away her with the baby, which will be named Ishmael. Abram's first son is Ishmael, a child born of the flesh. Then God speaks to Abram and Sarai, forms a covenant with them, and changes their names to Abraham and Sarah that we know them as. So Abraham and Sarah is now their names. Sometime later, Sarah, we were just talking about this this morning, Sarah becomes pregnant in very old age. We were talking about, uh, uh, earlier before church, we were talking about how old some women have babies. My mom was 42 when she had my little sister, my baby sister, right? And so here, Sarah was very, very old. It's estimated that she could have been 80 plus years old. Now, understand uh, age and Bible times and all that different stuff. Uh, it was possible. Praise the Lord. <laughs> so, praise the Lord, it doesn't happen today. Anybody? Anybody want to see great grandma walking around pregnant with a with just another another 24 kids coming out like, anyway. Sometime later, she becomes pregnant. And now they have a son who they call Isaac. Isaac is the child of promise. Paul is reminding the Galatians about this, and he looks to this, and what they so, know so well, he becomes in, comes in verse 24, and he says this. Now this may be taken, now this may be interpret, interpreted allegorically. Say allegorically. When you think of what an allegory is, you think of the, this really interesting thing to present a larger meaning, this picture historically to present this larger meaning. Paul says, think about Sarah and Hagar as representing two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery. What happened at Mount Sinai? Anybody? Moses, Ten Commandments, the law, right? The law came from Mount Sinai. So Paul says, think of Hagar, think of Mount Sinai. Paul says that to live under the slavery of legalism is likened to being a child of Hagar. Wow. He even, okay, so then Paul likens Sarah to what he calls Jerusalem above. Now, when you think of Jerusalem and then Jerusalem above, we would consider that he's speaking of heaven. So Jerusalem above, he says that represents freedom. So, to be honest, this is pretty dense stuff. It really, we were talking about this earlier too. It's really dense stuff. It can be somewhat confusing, but the breakdown of it is this truth. Paul says this in verse 31. So, brothers, we are not children of a slave, but of a free woman. We are not brothers, we are not brothers of a slave, but of a free woman. So, he's using this example to tell them this. Remember who you are. If you're here this morning, if you're watching this morning, if you are under my voice, I want you to hear these words. Remember who you are. Remember that you are no longer slaves this morning, but you are free under Jesus Christ. Amen? We get into chapter 5, we get into verse 1, and we see this right away. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Don't go back to that which enslaves you. Don't go back to that which destroys you. This isn't spoken to people who are defined as sinners, but remember, to those who have been redefined through Jesus as righteous. He says, stand firm, believer. I would say that to you this morning. Stand firm, believer. 
Do not go back to the slavery that drags you down. It's a yoke of bondage. We're no longer slaves. We are sons and we are daughters of the king this morning. And I believe we need to start living like it. Amen? We are sons and daughters of the king. What does it mean to no longer be a slave? What does it mean to live in freedom? What does it mean to not go back to that which destroys me? I want you to stand with me this morning, if you would. Steve, you're back there. Could you uh, turn the lights off? And we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna engage in one more song of worship together. The worship team, you don't know about this, you can stay where you are. But I want you to hear the words of this song. I want you to think about what it means to no longer be a slave. Go ahead and play it. You unravel me with a melody. You surround me with a soul. Deliverance from my enemies till all my fears are cold. know the words, if you know the song, sing it. this morning, let's raise our hands together. Lord, we worship you. We are no longer slaves this morning.
Let's worship him this morning together. Lord, we worship you. From our bondage. We've been liberated in Jesus' name. children of the Lord this morning. How many glad to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Lord, we worship you. We glorify you. We thank you that you are our Father. You are our Daddy. You are our God. You are Abba. We glorify you in this place. Someone give the Lord a shout this morning. How many glad we are no longer slaves. We are free in Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that we are free this morning. Lord, I thank you that we are no longer slaves. We are no longer in bondage, but we are living in righteousness. We are living under the blood of Jesus. Lord, I pray over those who are here this morning, those who are hearing this. Lord, I pray that you would bless them. Lord, I pray that you would keep them. Lord, I pray that you would cause your face to shine down upon them. And Lord, I pray that you would give them rest. Lord, speak to us as sons and daughters this morning. Lord, remind us that we are no longer slaves, that we are sons and daughters of the King. Lord, we thank you and praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen, and amen, and amen, and amen, amen, amen. God bless you guys. You are dismissed.